I'm Shachar Azani, and in the news, a new Israeli government was sworn in in Israel, headed by Yamina party's head and former Netanyahu chief of staff, Naftali Bennett. So who is Naftali Bennett? And what are his chances of succeeding as Israel's new premier? To enlighten us on this interesting individual, I'm thrilled to have with me all the way from Israel, Chaviv Retig Gur, an Israeli journalist and a political correspondent and analyst for the Times of Israel. Chaviv, welcome again to JBS. Shachar, thank you again for having me. So we start our journey, maybe, and you tell me if that's a good starting point, in 2006, when one by the name of Naftali Bennett is a soldier fighting under the Ulmert government uh, during the Second Lebanon War. What happens then? Right. He's, an, he's a reservist. He had served in Sayeret Matkal, this very prestigious and elite unit. Um, he is, I think, 34. He has come back from New York, where he spent six years uh, building a company called Sayota that he then sold for $145 million. So we're talking about a successful mid-30s uh, tech entrepreneur who goes back to Israel, there's a war on, and he's a reservist in an elite unit. And his unit actually, um, with him, um, actually goes behind you know, enemy lines and is taking out Hezbollah um, rocket launchers and cells and things in South Lebanon. Who else served in that unit, that elite unit? Ah, <laughs> uh, Benjamin Netanyahu, of course, uh, one of the more famous uh, people to come out of that unit, but several members of Knesset in any given Knesset. That's, that elite unit is, um, is one of the sort of, um, um, I don't know, el elite building. Um, now, Naftali Bennett's an interesting figure. He is not the child of Israeli social uh, or intellectual or historic political royalty. He's the child of American immigrants from San Francisco um, who tried out for that elite unit. Most people don't get in if they're not legacy, if they don't have family members who got in. Um, so unlike Netanyahu, he, he actually goes in, you know, almost from nothing. Um, he's, he's a very successful person at age 34 who is at everything he's touched, at high tech, at military. Um, and in this war, you know, the 2006 Lebanon wars, remember- Before, before you jump into the war, I'm, I'm already learning yeah. that you're talking about someone who shares the same military background as the prime minister. And it sounds to me like the level of English knowledge is uh, also rather similar. Right. Netanyahu spent um, more of his later childhood in the United States uh, because of his father's uh, positions and a few other reasons. And he went to MIT afterwards. Naftali Bennett was a very young child when his parents uh, spent some time in Montreal and went back to San Francisco for short stints. Um, but he got English at home and, and his English is, is wonderful. When you listen to it, it's clearly a little more Israeli than Netanyahu's. There's a little bit of mistakes, but it is a wonderful English. He can, you know, run around New York selling high-tech companies very, very easily. So also, they also whispered that some of the meetings he used to have with Prime Minister Netanyahu were conducted in English. Were conducted in English. And one of the things that Netanyahu liked about him was the American side. When in 2013 he gets elected to the Knesset, he actually has to give up his American citizenship because you can't have foreign citizenship uh, under Israeli law if you're going to serve in the Knesset. So he is he is also an American throughout this period. He comes back. He's in this war. He's he's in South Lebanon fighting, and that war is remembered by Israelis as um, as as just a mess, as just a chaotic mess. The Northern Command uh, sends soldiers into places, pulls them back. Nobody quite has a war plan. The chief of staff is the very first chief of staff ever in Israel's history to come from the Air Force, Dan Chalutz. 
Um, and this, that's essentially an air force war where certain, for example, uh, platoons of, of the Golani Brigade, this famed Israeli infantry brigade, are told to, to take this one village that covered in Hezbollah rocket launches and, 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 and cells, then it's just a battlefield. And Golani has to actually take that village four different times over the course of a month because the high command keeps taking it and pulling back and taking it and pulling back. There's no good plan. At one point, the chief of staff actually sends another major general to the Northern Command to sort of take over from the Northern Command general. You don't want generals starting to replace each other or work next to each other as advisors uh, in the middle of a war. Uh, it's a war that was very poorly managed, um, also in the political echelon, the Olmert government, Zipi Livni and Ehud Olmert, um, and Amir Peretz, a defense minister uh, who had no defense background of any kind. He rose up through the national trade unions. Um, we're, in Naftali Bennett's experience on the ground as a soldier, soldiers felt it. Now I have to say, I was a, because in my military service, I was in the infantry, um, I was a journalist in that war and the army let me be embedded in a unit of paratroopers who were going across the border into South Lebanon during that war. And I, I experienced that a much smaller level, I wasn't a soldier in an elite unit fighting in the war, I was a journalist embedded in the back of a group of, a large group of soldiers uh, very close to the border. I experienced the same thing. We, we, we got on a bus, we went to the border. Before crossing into the border, the buses all turned around and came back. It was an army that didn't have any idea what its strategy was. Naftali Bennett comes out of that experience swearing to reform the system from, from you know, top to bottom uh, and, and convinced that Israel's political system um, wasn't what, you know, the political system, wasn't the political elite, wasn't the culture of victory and the culture of careful planning and strategy. Uh, that uh, we know from the history books, we know from the 67 war uh, and such. Um, and that, that's his entry into politics. It kindles in him this desire uh, to get into politics. Within, I think, three or four months, uh, we find him chief of staff of uh, opposition leader, Benjamin Netanyahu. Before we jump to, the, uh, to that element, I just want to quickly ask you, we're talking about an ideologue here, somebody who uh, comes to the front stage trying to make a difference after having witnessed what he viewed as complete neg negligence on the side of the government and lack of leadership and feels the urge to change. How is that connection made between him and the prime minister? You know, um, you know, I I don't know much about it, and the reason is I don't I don't think he has personally spoken about it, um, and um, we, you know, one thing is simply that this this man is one of many politicians who we all have gotten to know, and and we haven't all read the sort of um, deep informed biographies of the man, but the other problem is there are no deep biographies of this man. He's, he's young, he's been many, many things. He's only been in politics since about, at Netanyahu's side since 2006, but as an aide, a senior aide, a chief of staff, but a chief of staff to a member of Knesset. A member of Knesset has about four or five staff members. It's not, you know, it's not of the prime ministers, right? The prime minister has obviously entire networks and systems and agencies working for him. Um, I don't think there isn't a biography of Nostradi Bennett published. Um, so I, he's at the time joining Netanyahu and Netanyahu was head of the opposition to Olmert's government. Right, and Netanyahu had uh, come back into Likud, taken over Likud after Ariel Sharon the previous year in 2005, uh, after the disengagement from Gaza in August 2005, left Likud, formed Kadima. Olmert, was now who is a former Likud minister, is now head of Kadima as prime minister. 
And Netanyahu is actually in the 2006 election, um, the, the uh, chairman of a Likud party that has 12 seats. I mean, uh, this just cat catastrophic collapse. Uh, Ariel Sharon and Eud Olmert's Kadima is much, much, much more popular. Uh, Olmert wins an election promising to pull out of the West Bank uh, in early 2006, just like Ariel Sharon in August of 2005 had pulled out of Gaza. He, he announces that before the election and then wins the election saying, this is what I'm going to do. So there's now a government that had embarked on this Lebanon war because Hezbollah attacked our soldiers on the border in July 12, 2006. Uh, but there's now a government with a, with a mandate, with a public desire to pull out of the West Bank. Omer called it the convergence plan. It was somewhere in the 90% uh, of the West Bank figure, what Israel would consider its ideal right border. Um, and so Naftali Bennett is a man who believes that the West Bank is, is a fundamental, uh, both ideologically, it's, a, it's, it's the biblical heartland of the Jewish people, but also it's a pillar of Israel's defense and security doctrine. It's the highlands overlooking all our major population centers. Uh, we can't afford to lose it. Now, that's the man who then, right, enters Israeli politics as an aide. He, he goes to Netanyahu, he meets Netanyahu. He's already a wealthy man. He's an American. He's got all the things that Netanyahu likes in other aides that we've met over the years. Um, and, uh, and, and, and he begins to help run Netanyahu's very, very small staff uh, as opposition leader in the Knesset. And at the, at the time, that was when the, um, the famed partnership between himself and one woman by the name of Ayele Chaked is formed as both of them are working at the head of the opposition's office, Benjamin Netanyahu. Right, and she's a more junior staffer on that very small staff. I mean, these are, right, these are uh, not hard jobs to get. Um, in my, you know, inbox, probably every three days or so, I get a MK looking for a, you know, a staffer. Many times it's an MK who's the chair of a committee or the chair of a faction or the chair of the opposition. Not a very hard job to get. You don't take this job um, for the money. It's not well paid. Uh, but these are important people. Members of Knesset, when they present legislation, you know, they have staff with them who actually build that legislation, negotiate the legislation. Um, my wife got her start in that way um, and, and, and worked her way up as a, as a, she's an attorney and she went into the Knesset and became a legislation advisor. And how you craft legislation is, is, is an expertise. And she changed many, many people's lives. Uh, and she did it very quietly behind the scenes. Um, so that's, that's what Bennett was doing. Now, very quickly, as often happens with uh, Netanyahu, uh, with people who work for Netanyahu, um, they have a falling out. Uh, within two years, uh, Bennett and Shaked both leave, and they leave on terms that for the next 15, 13, I'm doing math real quick, 13 years, um, we'll, we'll just leave them very bitter enemies of each other, uh, which is the situation between Netanyahu and Avigdor Lieberman, who was once his top aide uh, and has since 1998, when they had a falling out, you know, been essentially enemies of each other. There's real enmity among many, many people who work for Netanyahu uh, down the road. Um, that's what happens with Bennett. He leaves. Uh, he then becomes a CEO of another tech company, which about five years later sells for $100 million or more, at least $100 million. We're not quite sure what the actual cost was. Um, and then in 2010, January 2010, um, he is uh, appointed the director general of the Yesha Council, which is a, an advocacy umbrella body that sort of gathers together all of the different 
um, settlement regional councils in the West Bank and used to be also in Gaza and advocates for them to the government. He is the manager of, of, that, of that body. Again, so already a multimillionaire. He's doing this out of belief. Right, so the Yesha Council, the head representatives of the settler movement, as it's called, and you're talking about this young guy who worked with Benjamin Netanyahu, and he's also wearing a kippah, a yarmulke. He's really right. right. Now, 2010, Benjamin Netanyahu is already prime minister. You'd think that'd be a good thing. But Benjamin Netanyahu is also facing a brand new American president named Barack Obama, who comes to Israel and wants to, well, he doesn't actually visit Israel, but he wants to affect uh, change. He wants to punch through, you know, decades of, of, of motionlessness in the peace process as he sees it. Um, and he uh, squeezes out of Netanyahu a 10-month freeze on settlements in the West Bank outside of Jerusalem. Netanyahu didn't want to set a precedent that Jerusalem was something that we would negotiate before even the negotiations begin. So outside of the municipal boundaries of Jerusalem, there's this freeze for 10 months. And the number one public campaigner against Netanyahu's 10-month freeze who publicly in the Israeli media repeatedly calls for Netanyahu's ouster in 2010 is Naftali Bennett, the sort of main settlement advocate at this point, by the way, a man who lives in a beautiful home he built in liberal suburban Tel Aviv suburb of Ranana, not in any settlement. Bennett has never lived in a settlement, even though he's been a champion of settlements uh, for quite a significant part of his career. And at what point does Naftali Bennett, the head of the Yesha Council, decides to officially join the political ring? Um, he forms a political sort of advocacy, popular movement, um, activist movement called My Israel. Um, already in 2011, he's a year on the job. By 2012, um, he, he leaves. Um, and it, he didn't want to be there. They didn't want him to be there. There's a little bit of politics there. Um, nothing, I don't know anything interesting about it, but within two years, he's gone. Um, in 2012, he mounts, together with Shaked, um, a primary challenge in the religious Zionist right-wing party called Jewish Home, which had just shrunk to three seats in the Knesset, was really this dismal, old, creaking party with ancient institutions and even more ancient uh, activist base. Chaviv, you're talking about you're talking about the religious Zionist party that used to be a significant force in Israel's history and just shrunk over time. But it used to be a prominent force, wasn't it? It used to be very, very important and significant until 1967. Uh, it was also very centrist, and the Six Day War, the return to the biblical homeland, really moved it uh, to the right, and in many cases also to the far right, depending on who the leader was. Um, but by 2000, um, by 2012, it was it was a shadow of its former self. Then it takes over. He wins that primary by you know something like 67 percent. I mean, he just sweeps to victory, and then he takes the party to the 2013 election, and he wins 12 seats, which is um, an astounding feat for that party. He's seen as bringing this young energy, this high-tech CEO energy. He was the chair, the director general of the Yeshua Council. He also sold the company for $145 million in the, in the United States. So he's, he's, this, he's this amalgamation, this, right? Which, is, which religious Zionism as a movement 
likes to think of itself that way as this amalgamation of the old and the Torah and the orthodoxy and the tradition and our deep anchors in time with the new and the Zionist and the modern and the development and the science. And, and then it seems to really encapsulate that. I, I remember from the media visuals at the time that were portrayed yeah. was a lot of excitement within the younger generation to welcome Naftali Bennett as the newly elected leader of this, you know, oldish movement that we were we got used to seeing. That's right. That's right. And, you know, Sayeret Matkal, and I mean, he's heroic figure in all kinds of different categories of Israeli, of the Israeli sense of heroism. Um, and, and he really energized that young base exactly, exactly as you said. And, and he then, uh, yeah. He jumps into the political fray. And I can imagine right. that Netanyahu, at the time prime minister, is not the most excited politician in Israel about Bennett's uh, arrival in the political scene. He didn't like him. He kicked him out. They had this terrible falling out. Bennett didn't like Netanyahu. In 2010, they were direct loggerheads and Bennett argued for Netanyahu to lose power, uh, to be kicked out of power by the Israeli right because he had caved into Obama with the settlement freeze. Uh, and then suddenly in 2013 in the election, there's Bennett riding high on 12 seats showing up at the coalition negotiating table out of nowhere, out of nowhere, because he founded some activist thing and so he was a Likud man. He suddenly ran for the primaries in Jewish home. Um, it was a very unpleasant experience for Netanyahu. What was even more unpleasant, by the way, um, Netanyahu at the time actually uh, tried to build a coalition without him, uh, even going to Shelly Akhimovich, who then was the chair of the Labour Party. So he, he was more eager to build a coalition with the left than allow Bennett to uh, translate his success at the ballot box into real power in the coalition. Bennett went to Yair Lapid. Yair Lapid the great, right, the Brit Achim, the, the covenant of the two brothers, was how the um, how their critics mocked them, right? They called it the Brit Achim. They kind of started speaking about it themselves. It was cute. It was, but um, Yair Lapid had founded the year before in 2012, just as Bennett was taking over Jewish Home. Yair Lapid uh, left journalism, left television, and founded Yeshatid, and did not poll anywhere near the 19 seats he got on election day. But he got 19 seats on election day. Now, Netanyahu- we're, we're talking about the 2013 elections in Israel. The 2013 election. Netanyahu in a joint list with Israel Beitenu, the right-wing Russian-speaking party of, of, of Igdor Lieberman, who had had that falling out and didn't like each other, but knew how to run together when they had to. Netanyahu's joint list that he led had 31 seats. Yeshatid and Bennett together, when they agreed to work together and negotiate together, also had 31 seats. And that was just too large of a block for Netanyahu to ignore and for Netanyahu to have any other way to form a coalition without them. And what that allowed them to do was... What do you mean, what do you mean ignore? He couldn't, he wouldn't go with, um, with each of them separately? They weren't willing to go separately. Oh. And he simply didn't have the numbers to build a coalition without them. Shelly Akhimovich said no. She wanted to build labor in the opposition. She didn't want to go after Netanyahu. In the previous government from 2009 to 2013, Ehud Barak, former head of the Labor Party, had joined Netanyahu and it had kind of decimated labor, essentially. The sense that labor was just working for Netanyahu for those years. And so Shelly Akhimovich wanted to rebuild labor in the opposition. Um, the ultra-Orthodox, the Arab parties, the various other constellations of parties just didn't give him the numbers. He couldn't, 
build the government without Bennett and Lapid. And, and so he did. And Lapid got the finance ministry. Bennett got the economy ministry. Their first, you know, Bennett's first job in politics was as one of the most senior and important regulators of the Israeli economy. He did everything fast and he did everything with stunning success. Um, that government doesn't last very long. The ultra-Orthodox are not in the government. Uh, Netanyahu doesn't like the government. Uh, he has uh, Tzipi Livni there. He has Yair Lapid, Tzipi Livni leading a left-wing Hatnoa party. He has Yair Lapid there, who he doesn't trust in the finance ministry. Uh, and he doesn't like Naftali Bennett. Um, and uh, and the, the whole thing starts to fall apart in, uh, what is it, December 2014 or very early 2015. Uh, Netanyahu essentially dissolves his government, calls new elections, and then we have the 2015 elections. Um, in the 2015 elections, just to fast forward, um, Bennett gets fewer seats. He gets eight seats. He uh, negotiates the education ministry. Uh, he becomes the education minister of Israel. He likes being education minister. He focuses on math education, pumps a lot of money into math education. There's some increase in math scores in those four years that he's education minister. And fast forward to the beginning of the current four election two year crisis uh, in the April election of 2019. So that government that we Everybody had with in place from 2015, yeah. we had yeah. it for about four years. That government very nearly lasted its full term, yeah. Which yeah. is uh, quite amazing in Israeli political terms. It's an achievement, yeah. And, and, and governments um, in Israel's system, uh, governments shouldn't really last the full term because as soon as you start getting close to an election, um, you, all the parties suddenly notice that they're serving with other parties that are similar to them in, in outlook. And so they're essentially competing for overlapping constituents. So the vast majority of Israeli governments um, pick fights, sometimes completely invented, not real fights, uh, right before the election. And so they fall early just so that they can come to their voters and say, you know, the, I left the government uh, because of this issue. I care more than that guy, right? Um, we are now uh, sworn, we just swore in the 36th government uh, in the 24th Knesset. Wait, so that tells before, you how many. Just before swearing in the government, I just want to ask you starting this uh, incredible period of tumultuous fourth, uh, four election rounds in Israel, Naftali Bennett's attempt at running in the first round of these four elections ended up as a complete and utter failure. April 2019. Um, actually at the end of 2018, um, Naftali Bennett gets sick of Jewish home. He's been there six years. He was in the army for six years. He was in high tech for about six and a half, seven years. Uh, and he was an activist uh, between entering Netanyahu's office in 2006 until he went into actual politics as a politician in 2012. He seems to live his life in these six year blocks. Um, and uh, he had been in Jewish home for six years in 2018, uh, and he's sick of it because uh, Jewish home comes with some baggage. And the most important baggage that really bothered him were the rabbis. Um, and the, the habit that these rabbis, especially the most senior religious Zionist rabbi alive today, uh, Rabbi Chaim Drukman, uh, their habit of meeting with Netanyahu behind his back and making decisions about the party and then coming to the party chairman, the elected head of the party, uh, and informing him what they were going to do uh, in Netanyahu's, uh, on Netanyahu's behalf. And uh, Bennett uh, got tired of it, especially in late 2017 and throughout 2018. And he and Shaked leave Jewish home and form the new right party. Uh, 
It is the new right that contests the election in April 2019 and fails to clear the threshold of three and a quarter percent. You must get three and a quarter percent to get into the Knesset of all votes cast. Um, he fails to clear that threshold by just the tiniest amount, by something like 1,200 or 1,400 votes. But he's out. He actually crashes out of the Knesset. He is, he is gone. Um, and lucky for him, uh, Netanyahu fails to put together a coalition. And on May 30, the Knesset actually votes to dissolve itself. And there's a new election called for September. And in September, he uh, doesn't run on his own party. He unifies his new right with two other right-wing religious Zionist parties, including Jewish Home, now headed by someone else, by former chief of uh, chief rabbi of the army named Rafi Peretz. Um, and he unifies these three far-right religious Zionist uh, parties uh, into something called Yamina, and they run together. I, I don't know if they get seven seats or six seats, um, and uh, that's the September. They fail to form a government, obviously, in Netanyahu, and then in March 2020, uh, there's an election again. They run again as Yamina. Once again, uh, I think they get six seats, um, and uh, then we, we see after the March 2020 race, Netanyahu understands that he can't just go to a fourth and a fifth and a sixth election and not win. And so he negotiates this weird lopsided unity government thing with a rotation with Benny Gantz um, that involves changing Israel's constitutional laws and inventing whole new institutions like a parity government and an alternate prime minister. And, you know, if you don't understand this, you're, you know, one of you're like Israelis who have no idea what mess they wrote into just to have this strange unity coalition. Uh, but Bennett wants. But the point is that Netanyahu's relationship with Bennett have always been difficult and strenuous. And even when he established his, uh, you know, various mutations of his coalition or bloc, Yamina and Bennett have no. Even though ideologically they should have been part of it, they never have been. Right. Yeah, Netanyahu left them for last. He brought in the ultra-Orthodox immediately and, 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 and some other parties immediately. And he and Yamina, he just didn't even negotiate with until he had already locked down the unity government with guns. And then he didn't really need Bennett. He already had 73 or 75 seats in the Knesset, huge majority. He didn't need Bennett. Bennett didn't want to come to the negotiating table with Netanyahu with, without Netanyahu needing him because then he'll get very little. So Bennett decides uh, in a fateful decision and a huge gamble, uh, as he often does, uh, to go to the opposition. And he spends that year in the opposition, railing and screaming and shouting about Netanyahu's failures, uh, about the government's closures in the uh, pandemic, the failure to carry out closures, the bad policy, the change in policy. There was a tremendous amount of chaos and a tremendous amount of anger among Israelis uh, at the Netanyahu government over the past year. Uh, right up until the vaccination drive. Netanyahu ha had this uh, astonishing success uh, bringing vaccines to Israel first, uh, deploying the vaccines in this, in this powerful and fast and efficient way. Uh, but right up until then, we were not a success. We were not South Korea, we were not Australia, we were nowhere near, uh, you know, wasn't quite as bad as Italy, but it was much worse than some of the, some of the countries who handled the pandemic well. From listening to you, we understand just how, um, you know, the ups and downs of Naftali Bennett's career <laughs> are absolutely astounding from someone who started as an aide to the opposition head, Benjamin Netanyahu, then to the person who actually takes the place of what is nothing short of a mythological prime minister of Israel and assumes his position as the newly elected prime minister of Israel. I'm eager 
to see what the future holds when it comes to Naftali Bennett and in many ways to Benjamin Netanyahu as well as they move forward. Thank you so much. Promise is a comeback. Netanyahu promised to come back today. I'd like to so, thank you so much for your time, Chaviv. It was a pleasure having you with us on JBS, and I'm sure that we will um, talk for many more, many more times in the future as this topic and Israeli politics continues to unfold before our very eyes. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Such a pleasure. I'd like to thank all of our viewers. I'd like to thank our director, Sloan Copeland, JBS's managing director, Dara Golob, our technical manager, Michael Paley, transmission manager, John McDevitt, and to our wonderful producer of In The News, Carol Lilienthal. For JBS, I'm Shachar Azani. Until next time, shalom and lehitraot. See you soon.